We turn again in God's Word uh, this morning, uh, and we're turning back to our study in 1 Peter. And we have spent quite a lot of time away from 1 Peter over the summer holidays. Uh, many things happened, and, um, but this morning we're, we're turning our attention back to 1 Peter. Uh, and we're, we're thinking about how, as God's people, that we're, we're called to bless. That we are called to bless. And we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 down to verse 12 this morning. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. I think in life there are people we meet and people who have been Christians for a long time and we see them and there's something that, that I notice from people like that and it's this, that you never really hear them speak negatively about people. There are some people who love to moan, <laughs> they love to be negative that's actually one of their hobbies and probably a passion of theirs actually um, they're, they're good at discouraging people but there are people in life though that we meet that they, they just have this sense of we just don't hear them speak negatively about anyone and there's probably people who are coming to your mind just now even if you try and have a good gossip or a good chin, chin wag with them and, and try and be negative about someone that, that even then they still don't let negativity about someone pass their lips I think that's something to be commended because it's very easy for us to slip straight into, you know, even if it's just with our, our closest friends or even our family when the doors are closed where we can begin to speak negatively about people or, or there, there's things that we say and they, they, they trickle over our tongue and before we know it, we've said it and we regret saying it. But there are people in life, they just don't do that. I, I can think of, of many uh, old godly people and and life's been hard on them, but they just don't moan. They don't, they don't bicker. They're not bitter. They just love life and love the Lord. And, and I think that people like that, if you were to sum up who they are as individuals and about their character, the, the list that we've read this morning about having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, that would sum them up pretty well. It's been a while since we've been in 1 Peter, and um, let me give you a very quick um, whistle-stop tour through uh, where we've been so far. 1 Peter uh, has written uh, to a group of um, Christians who have been spread, uh, and they're exiles, and they're, they're, they're spread about. They're not where they, where they would call naturally home, uh, and they're spread all over the place. And they're going through a lot of persecution, a lot of trial, they've had a lot of hardship, a lot of hard moments. Um, but actually, Peter doesn't begin his letter by addressing that firstly, because that's not the lens that we should look life 
through life at, Peter begins with the hope that they have in Christ. And that is the lens that we read First Peter with, is the first opening verses, where it speaks about God's sovereignty, God's plan, God's calling, God's chosen them, God's elected them, that God is with them, and that he is working his plans out through um, the, 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 the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's to this they've been called to obedience. He doesn't start with a persecution. He does address it, but he addresses it through the lens of the sovereignty of God. And that's a lesson that we should learn in life. What is the lens that you look at life through? Peter then goes on and he speaks to um, th- these, these uh, Christians about the wonderful hope that they have in Jesus, that, that uh, this hope has been secure. Uh, it's, even though they're going through hardship, that God has guarding and he's keeping their hope, this hope that is imperishable and that cannot fade away, that they have this wonderful inheritance that is theirs through Christ. He speaks about being uh, holy and actually the difference that being um, part of God's chosen people, about how then we should live our lives. Because there's this internal change that should be visibly, ex- um, and it's an external difference that it makes. So he speaks about being a holy people, that, that actually we should stay away from sin, that, that we should build a life upon um, the cornerstone, which is Jesus himself. He then goes on and he speaks about our relationships and how we relate to different people. He's talked about how we relate to government. That's a, maybe a hard one for just now. We've heard the budget and stuff. There'll be many different views about what people are thinking about that. But if you're struggling with it, go back and listen to our sermon a few weeks ago when we thought about how we relate to the government and how we're called to pray that for them and submit to their authority, which is quite something. And I know that's hard, but being a Christian isn't easy. And then he goes on and he speaks about um, you uh, slaves and their masters and actually uh, and how you should relate to people who are in authority above you. And, and then he talks about this, uh, this relationship between wives and husbands and, and how as a wife and a husband you should relate to one another. Uh, so he's been a bit kind of um, personal. He's like chosen specific groups and specific ways that we relate. But now he is addressing all of the body of Christ, all the church, all Christians, what we've read this morning about how our relationship and our attitude should be as the church. So if you're a Christian this morning, Peter is speaking to you, that you are being called to be a person and and a people here as a congregation to have a unity of mind, a people of sympathy, a people who love each other well as siblings in Christ. People who have a tender heart and people who have a humble mind. I think it's quite fascinating that Peter doesn't tell them the actions that they should do, but he speaks to the attitude that they should hold. It's one thing being told what to do, but it's another thing being told how to feel about it and how to, the, the attitude that you should have. He doesn't say, you know, you should go and have cups of tea with your Christian friends and Christian family. He doesn't tell us specifically how to enact on these things. He tells us the posture of our hearts. We should be a people of brotherly love. That's an attitude. It's, a, it's something that we should be. So this isn't just about doing. This is about who we are as a people The first one he addresses here is harmony. And that's conveyed through the Bible passage we've read this morning as having unity of mind. Be a people of harmony. If you could picture a big rowing boat and it's got lots of different people who are rowing. 
I don't know if you've ever been rowing with someone or, or maybe even in a, in, a, in a canoe or a kayak and one of those double ones. Growing up on an island, we did this sometimes. We did it a few years ago in the summer holidays. And me and one friend were great at it because I just followed his lead. And we went and we were good. We paddled together. Me and my other friend, we were terrible at it because we were both trying to lead or then we were both trying to follow each other. And there was just such disunity and we just kept falling out of the boat. It was an absolute nightmare. If you're going to row and be in a rowing boat with somebody, you need to be in sync. You need to be able to be in unity. They all need to be going in the same direction, the same pace, the same time. That's why often you've got someone at the back who's shouting through that little megaphone thing telling you when to row and how to do it. Because if you're going at separate things, different times, it becomes a real struggle. Picture that as the church. Friends, we need to be going in unity. We need to be in sync. He isn't saying we all have to be the same because we're all different. And praise the Lord for that, for all of our weirdness and quirks and all these different things that make us who we are as individuals. You don't need to get rid of that. But what he's speaking here is about the attitude and the motives we have. And as God's people, we need to be grounded at, from the same starting point, striving for the same thing. Our starting point is that we're saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And where are we going? We want to see his name lifted high. That we have this hope of glory as God's people. There needs to be a harmony, a unity of mind. He then speaks about being a people of sympathy. Being sympathetic. Feeling what others feel. Again, I think some people are much better at this than others. I'm not necessarily someone who sees something going on and then automatically feel something for them. Whereas, again, I, I often use my mother as an example, but that's because she's in the Isle of Lewis and she's not living in Glasgow, so that's okay. I'm safe. She is watching probably, but I am safe. My mum went to a funeral once, didn't know the person, and was the only person at the funeral crying. That's just someone who my mum is. She feels what's going on. She has sympathy for those who are around her. So that we can respond in a sensitive way, but not just through actions, but actually we have this attitude of sympathy that we, what Peter is saying here, it goes beyond surface level deeds. And it becomes about being a community and a family. That we feel when we see someone grieving, that actually we grieve with them. We don't just give them flowers, which is a nice thing to do, but actually our heart for them is, is one of love. And we'll get onto that in a minute. And actually that then means as God's people that we were sympathetic towards them. We grieve with them. When we see someone weeping, that we, we weep with them. This goes past surface level and is speaking about having a real connection as God's people. True sympathy, though, is time-consuming. It's intense. It's intense while we walk with people while they are walking, when we cry with them while they're crying, when we grieve with them when we grieve. It is being a real person of sympathy is sacrificial. It takes up a lot of time. This goes beyond the, oh, I'm praying for you, you know, that, that phrase we often use is a get out of jail. You know, it's just something that we say. That it actually becomes, we, we do pray for them. We do spend time with them. We're sympathetic to what, we, we genuinely care for them. Then he speaks about being a people of brotherly love. 
How do you view those who are sitting around you this morning? Not just those that you sit beside every Sunday, but those who are on the opposite side of the church from you. How do you feel about them? Are they neighbors? Are they strangers? Do you feel anything about them? Because you should. Because if you're in Christ and they're in Christ, you're siblings together in Christ. Let me ask you this question. Do you even know their name? I don't know how we can do this if we don't know each other's names. This is hard stuff. This is difficult. Being a people who are full of compassion. The ASV, I think they capture this beautifully when they talk about being a people who of tender hearts. Being people who have soft hearts towards one another. The, the little Greek translation here is that we feel generous from your belly. I think that gives a very different uh, image of, of what we would probably read. We think of the lovey-dovey kind of love heart stuff when we talk about our hearts. But, but actually, compassion came from, in, in the Greek thinking, um, compassion was seated upon your bowels. There's something for you this morning. It was seated upon your bowels. Why? Because it comes from deep within you. When you, when you see and you're moved by something, it doesn't just like this airy-fairy, lovey-dovey thing. Actually, you, you actually squirm within you. When you see some injustice, you see something wrong happening to someone, or you see someone going through hardship, and everything within you just tenses up. And you just feel that deep, deep compassion. That's why the, it's this image of feeling generous from your belly. It's deep within you. And being full of compassion is the complete opposite of hypocrisy. It's having deep feelings from um, deep within for one another as siblings in Christ. And then being a people of humility. And I, I think this is one of the hardest ones to do. Why? Because I, th I think, and I could be wrong, I'm wrong a lot, but I think here, when we talk about biblical humility, and I, and I want you to hear me out when I say this, that actually biblical humil humility looks like us valuing and viewing others as more important than ourselves. And I think this is a really, really interesting one because this is so, so counterintuitive and it's so countercultural because we live in a day now where it's all about me. I need to look after myself. I need to look after my best interests. I need to make sure that I'm okay. I need to make sure that I've got the things that I need to have. Me, 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 I, I, I. And actually, I think humility is the complete opposite of that. This isn't about being a walkover, though. But this is about being the bride of Christ. And I think this is what the humility part looks like. As God's people, we cultivate a culture of honor. Where we honor one another in the truest sense of what honor looks like. If we can put up verse five and, uh, 8 on the screen, please. Um, and I want to kind of show you something here with verse... With the, it doesn't matter if it's all together. So we have this list... Unity of mind or, or harmony, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. 
Humble mind and, and having unity of mind are like the two bookends here in the list that Peter is giving. They're, they're, they're very similar. They're the two bookends. And it's about having that mind of Christ, that collective thinking, that, that unity within community. That we're all starting from the same point. We've all been saved by grace. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, we all have this inheritance and this wonderful hope of glory. It's the starting point. It's the bookend. It's what we start with and it's what we end with. And then we have sympathy and a tender heart. Or sympathy and compassion is another way to say that. Again, they're very similar. And you can see that Peter's kind of working his way into the middle section, which is brotherly love. So we've got sympathy and a tender heart. And these are hard to distinguish from each other. But again, it looks like how we feel towards one another. Having that deep sense of, of love and, and being moved towards and for one another. And then in the very center point, we have this. And I think all of these are encapsulated and they're all wrapped within this beautiful sense of brotherly love. This love that we have for one another. That as God's people, we're a family and we love each other. Friends, this isn't just a, a good idea that a couple of ministers have. This is the calling that God places upon his church. This is who we should be striving to be as God's people in Sandy Hills. It's why I encourage you to, and I do it every Sunday, Encourage you to come down for tea and coffee, to get to know each other, to speak with one another, not just our friends, not just in the little cliques that we maybe have and the, the close sense of friendships that we have, which are great and a blessing and they're wonderful. But do not let them rival and ruin what God is calling us to be as a people here. We're meant to be a family, a weird, strange mix of lots of different people who like different things, but united in Christ. For friends, why else would we all be here? We are all so different. But the one thing that unites us, which far outweighs all of our differences, all of our weirdness and strange things is the hope that we have in Christ. So there's a challenge for you today. Go and speak to someone you don't know and ask the Lord to let these blossom in your life. This isn't a club. We are part of the bride of Christ. Peter then draws his attention slightly different and he begins to speak about how we as God's people should respond to when we are hurt. Now if I was to ask you a question, don't, don't, please don't put your hand up because it's rhetorical. Have you ever been hurt? I think, ev I know every single one of us in this place would put our hands up. If I was to say to you, have you been hurt in the last week? Maybe a lot of us would put our hands up. If I was to ask you, have you been hurt by the church? Again, probably a lot of us would put our hands up. But here's another question. How do you respond when people hurt you? 
Because again, the Bible has something to say about that. We need to remember that Peter isn't writing this letter to you know, a group of Christians who are going through a lovely, jolly time. They're going through hardships, persecution, various trials, really, really difficult moments. And can you believe that and Peter says that when you're hurt, when people do evil to you, don't retaliate. When people insult you, don't insult them back. That when, as God's people, we are mistreated, that the Bible speaks to how we should respond. Again, though, friends, and this is why Peter, in his first you know, chapter and a bit, went through this lens of, of being born again, about how, as God's people, we're called to him, that we are born again through the imperishable seed of the gospel. Because this has to happen first for any of these things to take place. We have to be born again because this is all part of the sanctification and the, the process of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and making us more like Jesus. Without being saved, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us, this isn't achievable. They're just good ideas, pie in the sky dreaming. That's why Peter spends so much time shaping this lens about having this hope that is ours, but we haven't won it. We haven't achieved it. It's been gifted to it as we are going to inherit it through Jesus, that we're being born again. And now Peter turns his attention to speak about those who mistreat them. And these people are being seriously mistreated. Being a follower of Jesus, being a new creation, being converted to Christ, going from darkness to light, from death to life, there's an internal change that takes place that needs to be seen externally. We need to bear fruit. And this is really what Peter is speaking about here. And his main point is as Christians that we do not retaliate. That is easier said than done, though. That's easier said than done. If any of us have grown up with siblings, you know what it is to retaliate. I've got a brother and a sister. My sister's a lot younger than me, but when I was uh, growing up with my, my brother when we were younger, I, I knew how to retaliate. I was probably one of the best people at retaliating. It's something, it was probably one of my gifts, actually, one of my passions. I knew how to do it. If someone wronged me, I knew how to wrong them back and take it even that step further. Then Jesus comes into your life, and he makes all the difference. And at the beginning, we still do the retaliation, we still try and get even, but we know within us that we shouldn't do that because it doesn't feel right. And why doesn't it feel right? Well, it's not who God has called us to be. Many of us, though, I think, still live with this notion of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Someone takes my eye, I'm going to take their eye back. But Jesus says, you may have heard this, but actually I've got a, another way. Turn the other cheek. And what Jesus is saying there is he isn't replacing 
the law. He's actually showing them that they've misunderstood what an eye for an eye means. Because an eye for an eye was never about personal vengeance or, or being able to carry out a personal vendetta against someone. It was actually um, so that the, the judges and those in, in, in positions of authority, um, they could have guidance about how to compensate someone if someone else had been wronged. So this isn't about me. If someone you know, stole my iPad, I'm not going to go steal theirs. That's not what it's saying. It's if it, if it ended up going before judges, that the judges had this ethical um, compass so that they would be able to compensate that, personal, that, that person. Because this isn't about personal vengeance. Because the Bible tells us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And I think this is a really important thing for us to remember and hold on to if we want to be a people who do not repay evil for evil. That vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We are people who've been saved by grace and we need to be a people who display grace. Grace says, turn the other cheek. Grace says, do not repay evil for evil. Grace says, when someone insults you, don't insult them back. Grace says, like Jesus said, that if someone wants your shirt, give them your coat as well. I say, well, they, they don't deserve it. And friends, that's why it's grace. How do you respond to those who mistreat you? These verses made me think of many ministers that I have met in my life. Do you know, some of the ministers that, that I know, and one in particular, and I'm not going to mention who he is, his, his congregation have been utterly terrible to him. The things that they say about him and his wife would make your stomach churn. Not once, though, have I heard him moan about any people in his congregation? Not once. Faithfully, he continues to serve them. Faithfully, he continues to preach for them and to them. And faithfully, he continues to love them when they're in need. The church can be such a hurtful place. But friends, a forgiven people need to be a forgiving people. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We pray it every single Sunday. And Peter gives us an example. And that example is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I love that passage in Isaiah where it speaks about him being led like a lamb to the slaughters. And he didn't open his mouth. Stayed silent the whole time as insults were hurled at him, as he was spat at, as he was beaten, as he was mocked, as humanity did their worst to him, his own creation, he displayed the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, don't mistake being meek for being weak. Meekness isn't weakness. It is not easy to be a person of meekness. And just in drawing our, our thoughts to a, a close together this morning, Peter gives us three reasons why we should be a people who do not do evil to those who do evil, but actually we're called to be a blessing. That's what verse 9 says. For this to you, you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We need to be a people who bless. And again, think about Jesus, the... the, the 
I, I, I can't get my mind around him washing, washing the disciples' feet in the first place, but washing the feet of Judas, knowing what Judas was going to do to him. He still washed his feet. He came to serve. He blessed those who would do evil to him. And three reasons Peter gives us. And the first is he quotes from Psalm 34. And it's the tail end of the passage we read from verses 10 down to verse 12. And this Psalm, Psalm 34, is about a Psalm uh, all about um, being a people who um, in suffering and, and the Lord's deliverance um, for those who are afflicted. That God will deal with those who are evil. That he will deal with them. Friends, we don't have to. God will deal with them. We can just rest in his grace and rest in his goodness. Knowing that God will one day in his perfect and just ways sit as judge over all this world means that I don't have to do that now. Isn't that good? But my calling is to be a blessing to those even who do wrong to me. Secondly, it's what we've been called to. We've been called to be a blessing. And Peter draws on this theme of election, that we are not our own, that we belong to Christ. We are his. And Peter uses this phrase, for this you, you were called, and he already uses it earlier on in chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you so that you might follow in his footprints. We've been called to it. We don't have a choice. See, God's called us to be, is to be a blessing. Then thirdly and finally, that we may obtain a blessing. Bless for this to you were called that you may obtain a blessing. That we may obtain, isn't that quite a, it's quite a strange phrase. It sounds a bit back to front that we're doing something to then receive something. Which sounds a bit counterintuitive when we talk about, you know, we're not saved by works but we're saved by faith and faith alone. This is not saying that we have to earn our blessing. Because Peter has very beautifully and very detailedly explained that we're, how, how we're saved. We're saved through faith in, in Christ's atoning works, that, that we have this inheritance. We don't earn it. We don't achieve it. That it's gifted to us through Christ. But what is it James says? Faith without works is dead. If there is an internal change in your life, if you are a new creation, friends, if you have Jesus in your heart, how you live will look different. Why? Because we bear fruit when we abide in him. This isn't about us needing to do this to obtain, to, to achieve the blessing. But actually, as we're already, because he's speaking to the church, we're saved through faith and faith alone. That as we bless others, that actually it's a blessing to be a blessing. We aren't saved by good works. But if we are saved, friends, we should display good works. Friends, we are blessed to bless. We've been blessed, so we should be a blessing.
Let this place be known as a church that blesses people, even if they hurt us. We do not respond to evil with evil, but on the contrary, we seek to bless them, knowing that we are secure. And that is the most important thing, that we are secure in Christ and that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we're secure in Christ and we're called to imitate him. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the richness of the gospel. We thank you for the hope of glory that we have. God, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we would, even if we have never done it, Lord, that in this moment we would ask him into our lives. And Lord, we know that when we do that, we're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So, Lord, we, we ask that as your new creation here in Sandy Hills, would the fruit of the Spirit blossom up in us? Lord, would you help us to hold fast to and adopt and practice and live these five attitudes that Peter has addressed? That we would be sympathetic and tender-hearted, that we would be compassionate, we'd have unity of mind, Lord, that we would be in, in harmony with one another, that we would love each other well in this place. And Lord, even if we are wronged or insulted or there's evil done to us, Lord, help us to always remember that Jesus is our example, that we have a high priest who has suffered in every way that we do. And Lord, always help us to display grace even to our enemies. For this we ask in your precious name, Lord. Amen.